Let's get into the weeds. I'm your host, Brian Brown, Integrated Weed Management Specialist with the New York State IPM program. Today we're talking about how to control water hemp in soybeans, which is no easy thing to do. As I talked about last time, water hemp is likely resistant to groups 2, 5, and 9 in New York, so ALS inhibitors, photosystem 2 inhibitors, and, uh, and basically glyphosate. So those, those three groups we, we can't really expect good control from, unfortunately. And, uh, and even other groups uh, that, that we don't really expect resistance from, uh, water hemp is just, it's just hard to kill with, with herbicides, especially after it gets taller than four inches. Uh, there are growers in New York that have had it. It's survived several different herbicides in some cases, several different applications even, and still gone on to reduce yields by around 50%, which is crazy. Some of these escaped weeds can get tall, and you're talking seven or eight feet tall. Mike Standard has a picture with one of them, and it's towering over him. And so today I'm going to be talking about some of the trials that we did last summer, uh, summer 2019 in Seneca County and Oneida County. We had two, two main trials, replicated trials in soybeans. And um, we developed a number of, of different treatments that we were testing to try to regain control of this weed in soybeans. Some one pass treatments. So uh, first we looked at uh, just some pre-emergence treatments, so only only pre's, and then we also looked at some some post-emergence treatments, just post. Um, and even though we and some of those had a few different herbicides and pre-mixes or tank mixes there, we didn't know if we were going to be successful with just those one pass. Treatments. So we also added in a few two-pass treatments, kind of the, the kitchen sink approach, which uh, we knew they were going to be expensive, but we didn't know what it was going to take to to control this weed. And so we wanted to, to include these two-pass treatments just in case uh, just in case the uh, the one-pass treatments weren't effective. Uh, we also included a few treatments with sulfentrazone, which is not currently labeled in New York. Uh, it's labeled in some other states. Um, it supposedly has uh, very good effectiveness on water hemp, which is why we were interested in it. Uh, so I'll talk about those later. And we also looked at a few treatments that were just single residual herbicides. So to see, hey, which which of these herbicides in the tank mixes or in these premixes are really being effective? Which ones are, are pulling their weight, so to speak? And with most one-pass treatments, like just, uh, just pre-emergence herbicides, there would be a mix with, with some kind of burn-down product in it. So if there are any emerged weeds, that that those would be controlled, but some of these products that we're looking at for for residual control don't have much post-emergence activity, so so they they don't have much activity on emerged weeds. 
And so we had a little bit of a discussion as to how we should go about implementing these treatments, whether to include the burn down or uh, apply them right after a burn down or possibly after tillage. Here was some, some of our discussion with the other co-leaders of the project, uh, Mike Stanyard, Mike Hunter, Jeff Miller, and Venencio Fernandez. So I guess we have, to, we have to answer the question, I think, you know, what would a grower do? Would a grower actually put the burn down in with their pre-treatments like this, or would they make two separate passes? I would think they'd put it down once, you know, the burn down with the, with the pre. That's what I would assume. That's what most, that's what my guys want to do. They want to do that and say, look, I'm going to put it down. I mean, I had a discussion with a grower last week that, you know, they really want to, they want to kind of combine them in the same rather than make two because, you know, they hate that extra trip across the field. And, you know, and then there's a hesitation for them to put, you know, they don't like putting, you know, 2,4-D ester or anything that's going to kick them out any farther either. Um, you know, they want something that I burn it down and I can plant within a day or two if I need to. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I don't so maybe, you know, just... that, that's the question, I guess, to, to ask is what would a grower do? Um, right. You know, because if, if we burn it down and then come back in, you know, a week or two later with, you know, the pre's, you know, people are going to say, well, why wouldn't I just put the glyphosate with it? Um, yeah. You know, glyphosate, whatever you're going to put with it. It's up to you guys. I mean, you can do what you want. But uh, I think we have to look at it from what a grower standpoint is going to be. I don't have the treatments right in front of me, but I, I, uh, you know, if there's if there's some pre-treatments that are just residual herbicides. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right. Are those, I think. I mean, um, in those cases, would we just say, look, we'll put glyphosate with them at the same time? I mean, could we add that in our treatments as our burn down with it? Probably just combine them. If we have to put Roundup in it at the same time as the Valor XLT Metribuzin, I don't see why there's a problem with it. The other one we could think about is um, for a burn down is put uh, Liberty with it. Use that as our burn down. I mean, it wouldn't probably wouldn't do what a grower does though. Yeah. But and you wouldn't have any residual. It'd be a contact, no residual, and we can put that down. And um, I don't know. I'll let you guys decide what you want to do. All right. Yeah. So that was the discussion, and what we ended up doing was actually just going with tillage. Um, the the farmer host at our Seneca County site uh, tilled that ground in uh, mid-May, and we came in and and uh, and he actually planted the trial, and then we came in with our our pre-emergence treatments uh, immediately after that. So uh, there, there there weren't any uh, emerged weeds at the time of the at the pre-emergence application, anyways. Uh, but for one of the treatments, we did include a, uh, a Roundup in the mix as well, uh, just in case. I mentioned sulfentrazone earlier. I believe FMC tried to get sulfentrazone registered in New York with, uh, with the DEC last year, but I don't think they got very far in the process, partially because there's other PPO inhibitors currently registered, so you know, products with... Uh, 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 flumioxacin or um, lactofen, fomesifen. And so uh, Mike Hunter spoke with the DEC about, about us potentially using it in the trials. And he also asked about the possibility of getting it registered in New York. I've already talked to the DEC and I've given them the notice I need. She was really cooperative and oh, really helped. Nice. The other thing she mentioned, and Mike had mentioned it to me one other time, <clears throat> is 
she said, you know, you know, maybe it's not a full state label, but maybe we do a, a 24C um, where we could do it by county, you know, you know, a county or a special needs thing that, you know, for treatment of water hemp, you know, is why we're using it, you know, instead, yeah. of, instead of allowing it to have for everybody to use, um, you know, widespread stuff. So, so I think she's, you know, she was one of the chemists down there. And so I think she's, she's in the project, project registration. So, so I think she might be helpful at, at trying to work with us on it. Um, Great. You know, along with FMC to maybe get the get it registered down the road, but this will be the first step to show that you know here's here's what it is and here's what it does. Um, you know, the only the other challenge that we are I think going to have with it is that it's going to be you know if you look at a lot of trials around, you know, from other places, you know, it's very close to the to you know to the to the flum, flumioxazin. So. You know, they may already say, well, you already have a flumioxazin is <clears throat> your choice. I mean, it's, you know, I think that, you know, we're really a little bit of support suggesting that it might be better on the water hemp than the than like Valor, but it also has a little bit of an edge like on, on some other things like maybe uh, Lamb's Quarter and Black Nightshade, but, you know, we're kind of splitting hairs there. You I mean, you're going from like a a good to a very good. So, I mean, I think it's not like it's a really like a poor treatment to a good or something like that. So it's really, I think they're going to be very similar. And yeah. so that's an interesting one to see is, you know, can we really separate them to say, you know, this could be, you know, um, you know, a, a better treatment for us. Um, you yeah. know, and then uh, I, ideally, I mean, ideally, you know, fierce would be the best choice with the Zidua in there. Um, but we don't have Zidua. And I know that, you know, BASF has been trying to get that registered, and I don't know what the status. I mean, that's that sounds like it's going to be a long shot for us as well. So yeah. So we decided which self-interest treatments to include, and as we were wrapping up the meeting, we also got to hear about Mike Standard's uh, turkey hunting preseason report. Meeting uh, May first. Let me write that in. I won't be there May 1st. Oh, it's turkey hunt. Come on. Day of turkey season. By, by 8 o'clock, Stanyard, you ought to have your bird. That would be, if that happens, <laughs> I would just want to be. <laughs> oh, I, I would only, yeah, that happened last year. I was done at 645. Um, can we make it the 30th then? <laughs> or are you going to be out scouting, tying it to the tree for it for the no. next morning? <laughs> I, I will be available the 30th. The other thing we could have done, Brian, is we could have had it on the second here. Mike's, you know, boy, I could have had that, Tom, but I missed, you know, a story on, you know, <laughs> from the day before. <laughs> no, because I don't get anything. I'll be out there that day. Oh, too. that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so Standard had his turkey hunt and we got all the treatments applied. Uh, the full list of treatments that we ended up implementing were, first off, uh, an untreated check and then... A few treatments looking at single residual products, so first, first rate at uh, 0.6 ounces per acre. Uh, also, we looked at Metribucin at 5 ounces per acre, as well as Valor SX at 3 ounces an acre. Uh, we also looked at Warrant we at uh, 48 fluid ounces per acre, uh, and we added to the Warrant the Roundup at 22 fluid ounces an acre. So the warrant is the one that we, we um, you know, we weren't expecting any activity on uh, emerged weeds, so we added in the Roundup. Okay, then for the uh, the one pass, the more broad spectrum treatments, uh, you know, more, more realistic to perhaps to a grower, 
were the Valor XLT, so that's Valorant Classic at four ounces an acre, plus Metribuzin at five ounces an acre. And the other treatment, the other pre-only treatment was Warrant Ultra, so that's Warrant and Reflex at 48 fluid ounces an acre, plus Metribuzin at five ounces an acre. Okay, and then the post-only treatment, so Roundup and Extendamax, uh, Roundup at 32 fluid ounces an acre, and Extendamax at 22 fluid ounces an acre, plus a, a drift-reducing agent. Uh, and then that same treatment with the addition of Warrant at 48 fluid ounces an acre, and that one is, you know, it's a, it's a post-treatment, but we're adding in that warrant, that residual, to hopefully um, you know, extend that control into the late part of the season. Okay, and then the two pass treatments. So we've got, again, the Valor XLT and Metribuzin, the same rates as I said earlier, as, as a pre-emergence application. And then as post, um, for one of our treatments, we have row cultivation which you know, I, I'm a big fan of, of, of cultivation as, as a you know, non-chemical way to control weeds, to diversify the, the selection pressure that you're putting on the weeds. So, you know, as one farmer put it, there's, there's very few weeds that are going to become resistant to steel. And, and um, so that's, that's why we have that in there. Um, and uh, then we've got a few other treatments with the Valor XLT and Metribuzin. So coming in post, we've got Cobra at 12 fluid ounces per acre with a, a crop oil concentrate, as well as the Valor XLT and Metribuzin followed by the Roundup and Extendamax at the same rates I mentioned earlier. And then our final treatment was Warrant Ultra and Metribuzin followed by a post-emergence application of Roundup and Extendamax, all at the same rates that I've been mentioning. Okay, so that was the full treatment list. All of those treatments were, were applied at the Seneca County site, and most of them were applied at the Oneida County site. we came in in, in mid-August, right before those weeds were starting to set seed, and right before we had to hand pull them all out of there to not spread this thing around and not be, uh, not be doing a disservice to our uh, on-farm trial host. So right before we had to pull those out, we came in and, uh, and did the weed control ratings, and these were done based on the biomass of the water hemp. And we found First, just looking at the single residual products, compared to our untreated check, which of course controlled 0% of the water hemp, the first rate also controlled 0% of the water hemp. So again, this, this uh, agrees with our, our greenhouse trials in which we found that you know, we, we really can't be relying on the ALS inhibitors, which is what first rate is, group two. Uh, and then Metribuzin came in at 22% control of water hemp, so not great as well. And Metribuzin is group 5, which was another one of the ones in the greenhouse trial we found some resistance to. Then looking at some of the other products, so Warrant 
which we did add Roundup to, but uh, there were no emerged weeds at the time. So it's it's just looking at the residual activity of the warrant. We had 63% control of water hemp from the warrant. So not bad. Uh, not bad considering that this is that these ratings were done in, in mid-August, about three months after the application. And then Valor SX, which controlled 77% of the water hemp. Uh, and so once again, those two, so Warrant is a group 15, and then Valor SX, that's a group 14, PPO inhibitor. So group 14 and 15, um, I don't think we have, we have resistance to yet in New York, and so we should expect pretty good control from, those, from herbicides in those two groups. Okay, then looking at the, uh, the more extensive treatments, the, the, the pre-mixes or tank mixes, starting with the pre-only programs, so Valor XLT and Metribuzin, well, that only controlled around 50% of the water hemp. And initially I was kind of scratching my head because just Valor SX by itself controls 77%. But what I think is going on is that the, you know, the Metribuzin that, that's in that tank mix you know, isn't providing much activity, only 22%. And the, the, the classic in the Valor XLT, that's an ALS inhibitor. So we're not getting anything from that likely. Um, and then the Valor in the Valor XLT is at a lower rate than in the, just the Valor SX. So I think that's what explains that, uh, that decrease in effectiveness. Okay, so then looking at the other pre-only treatment, Warrant Ultra plus Metribuzin, that controlled 98% of the water hemp. So that was, so that was great to see. Then looking at the post-only treatments, so Roundup and Extendamax, controlled 83% of the water hemp. And I would have expected closer to 100% given that the, uh, you know, the Extendamax, the Dicamba was in that mix. Um, but I think we came in a little late there. I think we were probably at six or seven inches tall when we sprayed the water hemp. When looking at the label on, on Dicamba, you gotta be under four inches. So that's that's something to keep in mind, and that's that's something that you know if you are going to go with a post-only program, you better be ready to get out there at a moment's notice, and you better hope that Mother Nature lets you in the field. Okay, and then when we added Warrant to the Roundup and Extendamax, uh, I would have expected even better control, um, but you know we didn't really have much emergence after that post emergence spray and so the warrant wasn't you know didn't really come into play and there could be some antagonism with the warrant uh, you know certain chemicals don't really play nicely together so we'll keep an eye on that for next year uh, but I think in certain in some years you know if and if we had had made these post-emergence sprays earlier then that warrant would have come into play because more water hemp would have emerged after that application and that residual product would, would, would have come in handy. Okay, then looking at the two past treatments. So the Valor XLT Metribuzin followed by post-emergence row cultivation. We got 83% control of water hemp. And uh, keep in mind with these two past treatments, the Valor XLT and Metribuzin, that's controlling 50%. 
right off the bat. And so when the post comes in, the row cultivation gets us up to 83%. The treatment with Cobra, the Cobra gets us up to 97%. And then the Roundup and Extendamax also gets us up to 97%. Then the final treatment, Warrant Ultra plus Matribuzin Pre, and then Roundup and Extendamax post controlled 100% of the weeds. So that was... It was, it was good. At least we had one treatment in the mix that was completely effective on the water hemp. And all these ratings were from the Seneca County site. Uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, we didn't have very much water hemp emergence at the Oneida County site. And uh, I think that was due to two things. One, the grower uh, got in a late, I think a harvest aid application of, of Gramoxone, Paraquat, that I think disrupted the seed production. So he got in there early enough that the water had, the seed hadn't yet matured. And so, and so it, uh, I think it prevented a lot of it from, from fully maturing. And he also came in with a group of high school kids and pulled out a lot of it. Got it right out of the field. So those seeds, even if it had produced seeds, that they wouldn't be falling into the, his soil. So, so long story short, there wasn't enough water hemp to get uh, good data from that field, unfortunately. But there were other broadleaf weeds and there were grasses. So we've got pretty good data here uh, on, on the treatments uh, for other broadleafs and grasses. Looking at the results, it's generally what you'd expect uh, as you, uh, as you, as the treatments get more extensive with, with more herbicides in the mix, you see a, a general increase in effectiveness with the two past treatments, uh, most of them controlling 99 or 100% of the, the other broadleaves or the grasses. Keep in mind that the PPO inhibitors, uh, the Valor and the Cobra, as well as the, uh, the synthetic auxins, the, uh, the Extendamax, uh, none of those are going to have much uh, grass weed activity, but we're all pretty strong on the other broadleaf weeds. Okay, and then looking at our yield, we had a 56% yield loss in our untreated check compared to the more extensive one or two pass tank mix or premix treatments. And keep in mind that that 56% yield loss was, was even though we had hand removed the water hemp in mid-August. So if that water hemp had gone through September or October up through harvest, I think that yield loss would have, would have just kept going. We also lost yield in some of the other treatments that didn't have very good water hemp controls. So first rate Metribuzin lost around 20-30% yield. Uh, one of the surprises, to me anyways, was that uh, our, one of the treatments that had good weed control also we saw year loss in, and that was the treatment with the Cobra, lost around 12% yield. And that was due to injury. A lot of the, some of those leaves on the plots on the soybeans treated with the Cobra were burned, and that translated to a yield loss. On the other hand, I've, I've, I've read that um, that kind of injury can also stimulate the plant's own response to certain, certain pathogens like white mold. So if you're on a field or if you're in a year with, with, with severe white mold pressure, it could 
potentially even out. And then looking at the expense, unfortunately our, our only treatment with 100% control, the pre-emergence application of Warren Ultra and Metribuzin with the followed by the post of Roundup and Extendamax was also our most expensive treatment, coming in at around $75 an acre. As far as cost effectiveness, one of the treatments that stood out was the Warren Ultra and Metribuzin pre-only program that controlled 98% of the water hemp. It cost around $43 an acre. But say you get 98% control and you get, you know, uh, just a few weeds per acre going to seed, uh, they produce so much seed that you're going to be perpetuating the population. So something that I would consider anyways is, is potentially, you know, paying the big bucks for that expensive treatment, get 100% control, and then, you know, if you're able, if you're in an area where, you know, you're the only field for miles that has a water hemp and you can keep it out of that field, um, the seeds that are in the ground should, should, most of them should die within four years. So maybe pay the big bucks for 40 years and then go back to something cheaper after you've uh, nearly eliminated the population. So just something to think about. Um, but in any event, we're going to be tweaking these treatments a little bit next year. So hopefully uh, find some ways to get 100% control while um, reducing the, the cost. I didn't yet talk about the results of the sulfentrazone treatments. We, we did include Spartan Charge as a treatment, as well as Spartan Charge plus Metribuzin, and Authority Elite plus Metribuzin. So, you know, Spartan Charge has basically Spartan and AIM, and Authority Elite has uh, Authority and Dual, basically. And we, we had uh, decent results with those, uh, but we didn't quite have the... We didn't have quite have the rates dialed in for our soil type at the trial sites. So I'm going to hold off on presenting those results, um, but we're going to hopefully repeat those with, with um, adjusted rates next year. Alright, so those are our main results for the trials this year, and and uh, overall I'm, I'm happy with how things turned out. I was happy at least that we had a few treatments that uh, controlled near 100% of the water hemp and uh, we had three um, three pretty well attended field days that uh, that went really well attended by growers and industry folks uh, and other educators. So shifting gears, I want to talk a little bit about some um, some kind of basic research, some, some basic stuff around water hemp. A study done in Iowa compared about 20 different summer annual weeds and they found that water hemp was one of the last ones to emerge. So it's a late emerger and it keeps going through mid-July. So for those of you keeping track of, of your growing degree days, um, potentially through the, the NUA network, um, it's around 250 growing degree days through around 900 or so that you've got to be be out scouting and looking for the water. So weed scientists would say, hey, let's let's modify the traditional program from a um, a residual followed by a post-emergent spray that leaves windows where late emerging water hemp could come in before the crop canopy closes over. Um, so they would say, 
it lets add in a residual product into that post-emergence application to fill in that window. Um, and this, this is important not just to prevent the seed production, but also those late emerging weeds up to V5 can reduce yields by up to 10%. And they can quickly catch up to the soybeans, considering that midsummer water hemp can grow up to an inch a day. So definitely something to consider. And I think um, potentially next year we'll be looking into some of those layered um, residual programs. Um, another kind of newer um, tactic that we looked at was the use of electricity to, to control these escaped weeds. And the weed zapper uses a PTO powered uh, generator that charges up a, a rod at the front, a front-mounted rod that, with 500 volts of electricity that can run up to 200 amps, producing 100,000 watts, um, to send that electricity down any weed that it comes into contact with. So it runs over the level of the crop, and any weed that's, that's poking over, like an escaped horse weed or, or water hemp, um, gets shocked and that electricity travels down the stem through the vascular system exploding cells as it goes um, and we came back about two weeks later uh, because right at the time of, of application you couldn't really see if it was effective or not so we came back and sure enough um, just about all the plants that it touched were completely black um, and so I'm excited that, that you know, this, this may be a, a useful tool in certain situations. And uh, the company that owns this particular machine is called Preferred Grain. And um, I believe they'll be offering custom applications for around $30 an acre. Okay, so uh, one other kind of tactic we hope to implement this year is the use of um, rye a rye cover crop, which anyone who's grown rye knows that there is a lot of biomass, which when sprayed down or rolled down, creates this mulch, which um, in a, a study that I was got to be a part of, um, we found that it, it reduced the, the weed biomass at the end of the season by over 90%. And I think it'd be even, even more effective on horse weed and water hemp, which have tiny seeds that are suppressed by the mulch. Uh, and our collaborator Sarah Pethybridge found that it, it also suppressed white mold in the same way. Um, so kind of multiple benefits there. All right, that's all for today. If you're interested in learning more about this, this project, um, we've got a full write-up and a full report on the New York State IPM webpage under the Weeds tab. Final thing as a disclaimer, please read pesticide labels prior to use. The information contained here is not a substitute for pesticide label. Trade names used herein are only used for convenience, so no endorsement of products is intended nor is criticism of unnamed product implied. Laws and labels change. It is your responsibility to use pesticides legally. And it's a good idea to consult your local cooperative extension office for legal and recommended practices and products. And a big thanks today to project co-leaders, Encio Fernandez, Jeff Miller, Mike Hunter, and Mike Stanyard. 
and thanks to the New York Farm Viability Institute for funding this project. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Into the Weeds.